Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be considering verses 13 through 16 this morning. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. And over the past couple of months, we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And it began with the Beatitudes, Jesus' description of the one who is blessed. Again, the one who has God's favor. And those who are blessed, we learned, are those who are poor in spirit. Those who have God's favor are first those who recognize that they don't deserve God's favor. They're poor in spirit. And because of that, they, they mourn. We looked at, you know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And the Beatitudes concluded with Jesus calling blessed those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He said that they are blessed who, who are reviled, persecuted, and have evil spoken against them on Jesus' account. Christian, brother and sister in Christ, as we live out the Beatitudes, as we live as Jesus' followers in this world, we begin to face hostility from the world. And as the heat of hostility gets turned up, a natural tendency is to pull back, to, to pull away from that heat, from that persecution, from that hostility. Knowing this, Jesus moves on from teaching about persecution in the last beatitude that we looked at to teaching his followers a key lesson about their role in this world. Let's read the text for this morning. Matthew 5, and starting in verse 13, Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The main lesson that Jesus would teach his followers in these verses is this. We're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world for the glory of our Father in heaven. We're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world for the glory of our Father in heaven. We'll look at this in three, in three points this morning. First, Christians are not of the world, but Christians are to be in the world, and then the purpose for the glory of our Father in heaven. Christians are not of this world. Christians are to be distinct from the world. This is our first point, starting there in verse 13. Again, Matthew 5 and verse 13, if you're just joining us. 
Christians are not of this world. And we see that in Jesus' metaphor of, of his followers as the salt of the earth. Now, what would they have understood him to mean by, by using this imagery of salt? Well, salt, back in those days, it was used for flavoring, flavoring your food, much like today. And it was, it was also used as a preservative to prevent your food from decaying as fast. But I think Jesus has that, that first, more familiar use of salt in mind in this passage. And that's salt as flavor, as savoring. Because he, he says in verse 13, he talks about the salt losing its taste, losing its flavor. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, science would tell us that salt itself is a very stable compound. It can't become unsalty. But it can become diluted. It can become mixed with, with say, sand or other minerals. And this would have been understandable for Jesus' audience because, as one Bible commentator writes, much of the salt in Palestine, such as that found on the shores of the Dead Sea, is contaminated with gypsum and other minerals that make it taste flat and even repulsive. When a batch of such contaminated salt would find its way into a household and be discovered, it was thrown out. People would be careful not to throw it on a garden or field because it would kill whatever was planted. Instead, it would be thrown onto a path or road where it would gradually be ground into the dirt and disappear. The purpose of salt is to be salty. If it were to lose that special and unique quality, well, as Jesus says, it's no longer good for anything. And that's Jesus' point here. Unsalty salt is useless salt. When you put salt on something, it's not simply for looks. You salt your food expecting that salt to influence the taste. If, if it added absolutely nothing to your food, well, you may as well just throw it in the trash. It's a waste of time to shake it on your food. Similarly, Christ's followers, as the salt of the earth, are to add something to this world. They're to be a unique influence in the world they're in. Jesus' followers aren't simply to blend in. No, they're to influence the world around them. They're to affect the society in such a way that if they were gone, it would be noticeable. Just, just like if you forgot to add salt to a recipe, you would notice. Something's not quite right here. Something's different. Well, how, how is the follower of Christ distinct? How are they unique in this world? What does it look like to be the salt of the earth? I mean, is it just that we dress a different way or, you know, have a, have a certain, you know, different traditions than those around us? Well, remember the context of, of Jesus saying this. He's saying this right after he's finished teaching the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, he's presented an alternative value system. An alternate value system to what this world offers. See, the world doesn't value humility. But Jesus comes along and says, 
Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The world doesn't value hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And yet Jesus says it's, it's those people who are blessed. It doesn't value meekness, but Jesus says blessed are the meek. See, what Jesus is doing is he's presented a, a distinct way, a Christian counterculture. His followers are to be different in these ways. It'll be reflected in the way that we view ourselves, the way we view God, and the way we respond to those around us when we're mistreated. The way we respond to pain and and suffering in this world, it should be distinct and different. To be the salt of the earth is to be a distinct influence, a unique influence, the kind that's irreplaceable, the kind of influence that only comes from heaven. To be salt of the earth is to influence this earth with the influence of heaven. The follower of Christ is to add a heavenly flavor to this world. Just as salt is never confused with sugar or pepper, it's, you know, it's unmistakably salty. So too the Christian is to be unmistakably Christ-like. Think of Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 where Peter and John had been boldly witnessing for Christ and they're brought before the Jewish leaders and questioned and they answer them boldly. They, they boldly witness for Christ. And here's what the Jewish leaders said. When they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I wonder, would, would this world say that about us? Would our coworkers say that about us? Our unbelieving relatives or friends? Is there an unmistakable Christ-likeness about us? Or do we do our best to just fit in and, and blend in and, and not, not create a stir, not, not ruffle the water? Do we do our best to fit in with the non-Christians around us, to, to laugh at their jokes and enjoy what they enjoy and talk like they talk, do what they do, value what they value? Christians are to be different. We're, to be, we're not to be of the world. Christ has set us apart and given us new eyes to see the world with, an alternative value system. Conversion True conversion changes everything, including the way we relate to this world. We respond differently than we once did because we're not the same people we once were. Knowing Christ changes you. Knowing His love changes the way we love. Do we love even those who are hard to love? Those who are difficult to, to bear with? Knowing Jesus gives us new reasons for joy and hope in this life. Do you have a joy that's independent of your circumstances? In the midst of pandemic and unrest in this nation right now, do you have, Christian, do you have a rock-solid confidence and joy that's not dependent on, on how well things are going, 
You know, 2020 has been a hard year. And we, we do well to be compassionate as those around us are suffering to weep with those who weep. And yet we should not weep as those who have no hope. Christian, the world right now, America in 2020, needs hope. And we, because of Christ, we have that hope. We have joy because of Christ. So are we living like people who have hope in 2020? Or are we just kind of blending in with the pessimism, the complaining, the anger, the anxiety of those around us, those who who don't have Christ and who don't have hope? Christian, do you blend in? Or do you stand stand out, stand apart? Like, Like those Jewish leaders, would people around us recognize in our lives the influence of Christ? That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. You know, when we're faced with the pressure and the hostility of this world, it's easy to, to just want to go incognito and just kind of blend in, not say anything, not do anything that could, you know, get, give us dirty looks or, or cause people to look at us differently, just to kind of go with the flow. But as Christ's followers, we're called the salt of the earth. And salt doesn't just blend in. Whatever you put it on, it affects, it influences. So that's our first point. Christians are not to be of this world. We're to be distinct from it. But another temptation that comes to us when faced with hostility for Christ is to pull back. To, to be distinct, but to isolate, to retreat somewhere safe where we don't have to suffer for Christ. But for the Christian, isolation isn't an option. We're called to be in the world. That brings us to our second point. Christians are to be in the world. We're to be as light in the midst of darkness. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And then he goes on to say a few more things about light. Look at verse 14. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, if you were traveling in those days, before there was electricity, you know, you wouldn't be cruising down the highway in your, you know, Chevy pickup or your Dodge or, or whatever, your Prius. You wouldn't be cruising down the highway with your high beams on you'd be making your way slowly down a dirt path or a, a rocky trail. And maybe, maybe riding a donkey if you were wealthy enough to have a donkey. And as night fell, if you were out in the countryside, it would be dark. There wouldn't be any streetlights. There would only be the moon and the stars. So imagine yourself making your way down one of these roads in ancient Palestine, and the dark woods on either side of you in the fields, you know, the, the shapes of the trees and bushes are fading away into blackness as the, as the sunset fades in the western horizon. But off in the distance, there's, there's a warm glow coming from the top of the hill. And it's a city. A city that's lit up by the torchlight and the, the lamps of a thousand homes and buildings. 
And that light, that city on a hill, gives you hope to keep going. You, you pick up your pace as you make your way toward that city on a hill. And it's in plain sight. You know, a city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. And the sight of its light gives hope to the weary travelers making their way through the dark. Verse 15, Jesus goes on from this image of a city on a hill to a lamp in a house. That city on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Now in those days, of course, you didn't just walk in your house and flip on the light switch, and immediately the room is flooded with light. You'd have to light the, the lamp. You'd have to keep it burning with, with oil. And those lamps in those days, they didn't provide much light especially in, in homes that typically didn't have many windows. And so you'd want to put this, this lamp in a prominent place where its light could, could shine throughout the whole room and everybody could see. To light a lamp and then put it under a basket, well, that would just be unthinkable. That would just be a waste of effort. Why would, why would you do that? And that's Jesus' point. The purpose of the lamp is to give light in the darkness. Lamps are lighted and placed where their light is visible. And they're not lighted in the they're not lit in the brightness of, of midday. They're lit in the darkness. As the light of the world, Christ's followers aren't meant to be hidden. We're not meant to hide away in, in splendid isolation somewhere, away from the world and all its problems. We're to be light in the midst of the darkness. Now, in the Middle Ages, sadly, um, the prevailing idea of how to be spiritual and how to follow Jesus and how to be holy uh, was to pull away from the world. And, and many people would often, they would isolate themselves into these little monastic communities, uh, and they would just be there with other spiritual people and they wouldn't come into much contact with the world and all of its problems. They would isolate themselves. And, and the thought was that there they would be safe from all the impurity and all the wickedness of the world. There they could be truly holy. There they could faithfully follow Christ. But Christ calls us to be light in the darkness. Christ himself went into the darkness. Are we willing to follow Him there? Jesus' prayer for believers in John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. He prayed, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus was sent by the Father and He willingly left the brightness and the glory of heaven where angels were singing His praises 24-7 and He entered the midnight darkness of this evil world. He came and He said of Himself, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus' life shone brightly No one ever lived as Jesus lived. Talk about being 
in the world but not of the world. That's what Jesus was. He was always loving His heavenly Father perfectly. He always obeyed the law perfectly. He cared for the fatherless and the widow. The outcast and the outsider, well, He brought them into His inner circle. Jesus healed the incurable. He loved the unlovable. He bore with the unbearable. He touched the untouchable. No one has ever loved as Jesus loved. And then Jesus, in the ultimate act of love, He went on into the cross and he, he bore our sins, the sins of sinners like us, dying there on Calvary so that people like you and me who see that light, see the light of Christ and say, I want that, well, we can have it through faith in Christ. He came to give us what we'd forfeited because of sin. He came to give us forgiveness. He came to give us a reconciled relationship to the Father. He came to bring us into the light of life in eternity with Him. But it cost Him being consumed by our darkness on the cross. He was consumed by our darkness as the sky turned black so that we would never have to be cast away into the outer darkness. We have hope today as Christ followers because the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. He's coming back. He rose from the dead and He today, even this morning, He offers forgiveness to anyone who would say, I want that light. I want that forgiveness. Jesus, I want the light that I see in you as I hear of your love, your compassion. Take away the darkness of my sin. Forgive me. Give me eternal life with you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That all who come to him because of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, they will not be cast out. God won't give us what we deserve for our sin, but He'll give us the undeserved gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And that's the gospel, that He offers it to us freely as a gift, not that we have to earn, but simply to receive by faith. That's the gospel. And if this gospel, maybe if you've never heard it this morning, or if you've heard it before, but you've never really understood it, know that it can be good news to you this morning. If you have any questions about the gospel, please come and, and talk to me after the service. Talk to a church member. There is no better news. There is no more important news that America needs in 2020 than this. Well, Jesus came to give us His light, and He means us as His followers those who have trusted in Christ, to share that light with others. When we believe in Jesus, God the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and His light begins to shine through us. And we begin to be as emergency exit lighting, pointing other lost sinners to the door of salvation. But this means going to the darkness. This means us being in in this dark world, not retreating to where it's safe and comfortable, 
You know, Jesus, as he walked the earth, he faced opposition. And those who would follow Jesus, they'll face opposition too. He said in John 3.19, Jesus said, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. He said, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Why do people hate the light? Why wouldn't they just come to it? Well, because the light is is humbling. It exposes the fact that we're not light. We're, We're sinners in and of ourselves. And so as Jesus walked this earth, you know, the the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, they thought they were moral and upright. But when Jesus came, his holiness shone so brightly that it exposed them. And as Christ's followers, as the light of the world, as they follow him, and as his his holiness begins to be worked in them by his Holy Spirit, and as their lives begin to shine, expect to face opposition. But when we face that opposition, we must not run and hide to where it's comfortable. We have to stay in this world. We can't just cluster together with other Christians and admire each other's light. We're not to retreat from the darkness as the monks did in the Middle Ages or like the Amish community does today, trying to isolate away from the world and its problems. We're called to be light in the midst of the darkness. Jesus calls us to go. And our posture should be to go where the darkness is, bearing the light of Christ where it's needed most. This doesn't mean we can never uh, pull back and never leave when we're being persecuted and when we're facing hostility. You know, Jesus' disciples at times, they, they left a city where things were just getting too hot and where they... They couldn't share the gospel anymore like they once did. But if they were kicked out of one town, they didn't just go off with the rest of Jesus' followers and say, hey guys, let's go. Let's just go off into the desert somewhere where we don't have to deal with this this world anymore. No, when they got kicked out of one city, they went to another. Their, Their posture was continually going to the darkness. And they would only retreat to regroup and to charge again into the darkness, bearing the hope and the light of Christ and his gospel. Well, all of this, as we're, as we're listening, this is easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to, to sit here with, with other Christians and talk about this. But what's to keep us going when we're out in the, in the world this week? When we walk out these doors... And this brings us to our third point. Christians are not of the world, but we're to be in the world. And the reason being, the glory of our Father in heaven. It's for the glory of our Father in heaven. That's what keeps us going. As Jesus has been saying, people don't light a lamp to hide it, to obscure its light. It's it's meant to give light in the darkness. And then he says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So that's the call. Let your light shine. And the reason, the motivation, is that our Heavenly Father will be glorified because of it. 
That's what keeps us going when the darkness is getting really mean and really menacing. We want our Father in heaven to be glorified. We want to see people come to praise Him because of us. We want to be used by God for that glorious purpose of bringing glory to Him. As as He's loved us and called us out of darkness into His marvelous light, we go with that message and call others. We want to see His praises being sung by those who formerly only used His name in cursing. We want to see those who formerly sold their bodies for sin, spending their strength for God's glory. We want to see those who used to strategize about building an empire for themselves, busy giving their money and their time and their talents to advance God's kingdom. We want to see those who formerly spoke lies, speaking the truth that brings everlasting life. That's what we want to see. That's what keeps us going to the darkness. And God can do it. God is still at work in this world. He's still saving sinners. We were saved to worship and enjoy and glorify God. And part of that means that we have the privilege of of being God's instruments to bring others to worship Him. It means that we have a, a holy jealousy to see God glorified. There's a, there's a holy passion that we ought to have that says, my God is so worthy. He's so good. He's so amazing. And I can't bear that others are missing out on all that He is. He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be worshipped. He alone is worth living for. And when we see that, when we're being gripped by that, when we're being gripped by that, we'll have a holy longing to see others captivated by that same love and have that same joy and hope that we have. When you come to know God, you just, you just can't help but wanting others to know Him as well. Something has gone terribly wrong if we're more concerned about our own comfort and our own safety than shining the light of Christ into the darkness. Something has gone terribly wrong when we have the light, but we hide it. Verse 16 teaches us that we're to live in such a way that people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Now later in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in, Matthew, uh, in chapter 6, Jesus warns against doing good works in order to be seen by others. In Matthew 6.1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What are we to make of this? How do we let our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and at the same time avoid practicing our righteousness before others to be seen by them? Well, there's a key difference in these two passages that helps us understand how to do the one and how to avoid the other. And the key difference, it's not whether we're seen or we're unseen. The, the key difference is the motive. Why are we doing what we're doing? In Matthew 6, and verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
being seen by them is, is there, it's an end in itself. You want to be seen and recognized and noticed. Have the praise of, of others. And that's the motivation that Jesus tells us to avoid. But in our passage here in Matthew 5, 16, the goal is so that others, not so, so that they'll just see us, but that, so that they'll glorify our Father in heaven. So we're to avoid, what we're to avoid is seeking to be seen by others and remembered by others and, and to have a legacy for ourselves. But we should seek to leave a legacy for Christ. What we are to seek is that others would see Christ in us and that they would come to know our Heavenly Father and that He would be remembered, even if that means that we're forgotten. When the great preacher of the 1700s, George Whitfield, when he was approached about starting a new denomination of churches under his name, his response was, he said to them, let the name of George Whitfield perish so long as Christ is exalted. Is that our motto? Are we okay to be to have our names forgotten so long as Christ is exalted? That ought to be our attitude. So don't seek attention. Don't just seek to be noticed. But also don't hide away in seclusion. Live in the world, following Christ. Look for needs. Look for darkness. And bring the light of Christ. And the way to keep our motives right, how we do that, is by consistently uh, you know, being in prayer and studying the Scriptures so as to have an overwhelming vision of God's glory and His worth. When we're so overwhelmed by who God is, then as we live our lives in this world, that's going to come out. And, and we're going to be making a name. We're going to be spreading the, the fame of His name and not our own. So be consumed with God, and it's His light that will shine through us. And the more we decrease, the more He increases, and the more brightly He will shine. So Christian, we're to be distinct. We're to be different. We're not to follow the world, but to follow Christ. And yet, we're to remain in the world. We're to be as light in the darkness. Our lives and our words should be signposts pointing to heaven. They should be emergency exit lighting pointing to the door of salvation. And living in this way, though we're persecuted, though we're reviled, though we face opposition, though the world is hostile to us, may they be unable to give a reason for their hostility. And some will even come to glorify our Father in heaven through our witness. Brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What an unspeakable privilege this is. This is what God's grace has done for you. Because we were once in darkness ourselves. This is what God's Holy Spirit is doing in you. And this is what He's calling others to through you. Let us embrace who God has called us to be. Let's embrace this dark and this dying world that's so desperately in need of hope, that's so desperately in need of light. And may He be glorified because of us. Christian, we're not to be of the world, but we are to be in the world. 
for the glory of our Father in heaven. Let's go to him and pray. Father in heaven, help us to be who you have called us to be. We thank you. You called us out of darkness into your marvelous light so that we may proclaim your excellencies as your people, Lord. Father, as we come now to partake of the Lord's Supper, pray that you would be with us now as we remember what you have done to bring us out of that darkness. In Jesus' name.